0: Hello and welcome back to the third Digital Sociology Podcast episode. Um, I'm Chris Till and this is my series in which I talk to people I find interesting who are doing work around digital society and digital culture. Um, And if you want to subscribe to the podcast or have a listen back to some of the old episodes, you can find these on my SoundCloud page um, and you can get links to that and to where you can uh, download it through... Uh, iTunes as well on my blog which is blog, and you can also get me on Twitter at Chris H. Till um, and today in this episode I'm talking to Nick Pryor who is a senior lecturer at uh, the University of Edinburgh in the School of Social and Political Science and he's also a visiting fellow at the Tokyo University of the Arts in Japan and I'm talking to him about his work on music and I think he Um, Is doing some really intriguing work, particularly around the impact of technologies, particularly digital technologies, on uh, popular music. So he looks at um, the impact of MIDI systems, of smartphones, apps, auto-tune, video games, uh, streaming services like Spotify, and these kinds of things. He's done some really good work around the relationship between the use of uh, iPods and how that affects how we think about public space and his new work which I'll talk about with him in this interview as well uh, looks into the fascinating example of uh, a a Japanese uh, pop star called Hatsune Hatsune Miku um, who is thought to be the first crowdsourced celebrity Um, and you'll hear more about this in the interview but it's a really interesting case of how the the public comes together to kind of create this uh, virtual pop star I suppose. So here's my chat with Nick. Hi so um, I'm here again at the BSA and uh, now I'm talking to Nick Pryor. So hi Nick. Hello. Hello. Hi thanks for talking to me. Um, So you're someone who you've you've been doing work uh, for a few years um, a a lot around kind of music and kind of music um, uh, technologies around kind of music consumption
1: would that be right? Yeah, I mean I guess about 10 years ago I I moved, jumped fields as it were from museum studies which is um, the field I got into after my PhD and was directly related to my PhD and decided that it's not a bad career move to Start to, to research stuff that you, you really love, you know, you, yeah. can get, you can get away with that. It's a, it's a good gig. Um, so, I, being an amateur musician myself, I was curious about how changing practices of making music were being heavily inflected by changes in technology. And you might notice I'm avoiding determinist language because <laughs> okay, it's a yeah. much more compli- yeah. complicated relationship, but certainly the shift to digital technologies in studios and bedrooms had a big impact on what kinds of things are possible in a domain of music making mm-hmm. um, and I was particularly interested in pursuing both production and, and consumption right. sides as a way of making sense of those changes you know and, and, and hooking them up to broader changes too I and mean, you can't necessarily isolate the bedroom as a sure, yeah, yeah. as a unit of analysis without them showing the leakiness of the bedroom in relationship mm-hmm. to broader configurations of, of, of capital and, and flow and changes in, in the configuration of, of, of markets and so on. So, um, yeah, I mean, ever since then, I've been picking bits, slices of that relationship. For instance, um, taking devices as a as an entry point and thinking about the laptop, for instance, yeah. as an archetypal... Unit of like capitalism, underwrites yeah. on, on mobility in certain kinds of kinds of yeah. um, spatialities in, yeah. in terms of production.
0: So, so yeah. what is it about the laptop in that? Because it's it's a kind of a, quite an all-purpose device. It's it's quite flexible. Is is, is that
1: one of the things that, that, that you find kind of interesting about it in that yeah. context? Yeah. I mean, two things. One, I, I think it's a meta device in that respect. Right. I mean, all purposes, isn't mm-hmm. the way of putting that, I suppose. But it's yeah. the first integrated unit that covers both production, distribution right, and consumption yeah, yeah. if you think about it. Um, that is, not only are you making music on on the laptop but you're able to then disseminate, promote, mm. get your gigs yeah. and then yeah. listen to the music itself and then obviously with um, all sorts of technologies that allow um, consumption to happen in those fluid spaces. So it, it brings together what were often considered to be discrete processes. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, of course, is that it's, as a boundary object, particularly on stage, it's got this kind of mm. eeriness. It had to go through a process of normalisation. Mm. So in the early days of laptop making, laptop music making, there was a suspicion about the laptop because it didn't really belong there. Yeah. It was the only thing on stage that didn't make a sound mm. in itself. You know, mm. you couldn't play it like a guitar. Oh, yeah. So people were very suspicious about what it did, taking away musicality, replacing replacing the, mu- replacing mm. the musician. There were all sorts of anxieties around mm. what the laptop did. Its affiliations to business mm. I think dragged it towards the idea that this mm. was doing too much work at the expense yeah. of the musician. So I was exploring it at that point as a sort of boundary straddling object. Since then, I think the laptop's have become much more normalised. If you go to yeah. many electronic gigs for instance, yeah. it's there, the glowing yeah. Apple logo is a yeah, telltale yeah. sign of certain kinds of... Yeah. Um, you know tastes and affiliations and ways of yeah. making music, and kind of and, and music. even
0: outside of the kind of the strictly kind of electronic music, kind of it's it's, it's there in a lot of spaces, There's a lot of music spaces, I think, uh, as yeah. well, increasingly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and and um, and I think um, one thing that I've read about in in some of your work is is actually the kind of the, 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 the musical aesthetics of not so just a laptop, but of, a, of a electronic sort of music production around kind of auto tune mm. and. Um, um, the
1: other thing Vocaloid? No. Yeah, voco- vocoders, yeah, voco- which is obviously is yeah. a much older kind of technology yeah. but
0: um, yeah and, and where you talked about the, the kind of, sort of semi-roboticisation mm. of, uh, yeah. of the voice is, it, that's a really interesting issue and especially uh, you t- talked about that in relation to gender uh, kind yeah. of, uh, kind of, uh, music of like, uh, Cher and um, mm, mm. Uh, Britney Spears and this kind of mm, mm, thing mm, 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 um,
1: mm. could you say anything about what, what do you find interesting about that well, let's start with this interview, right? Yeah, yeah. So, in this interview, my voice is being encoded. Sure. And it, there are a number of ideologies and a number of <clears throat> uh, systems of uh, value which seem to put on the voice a whole heap of expectations, right? Mm. So, you're talking to me, and as I'm talking to you, you're expecting my voice. To be conveying a truth, mm. conveying something about me, conveying my personhood, conveying mm. lots of other all sorts of other things. Um, now, I think the voice is a is a particularly resonant object because we have so many ideas around its purity and its mm. um, how it speaks for us. And mm. you know, we talk about giving people a voice yeah, as a yeah, form yeah. of agency. So it's Already you are getting into the realm of the voice as a particular kind of sociological object I think, mm. that's ripe for analysis because it, it, it has all these resonances. Mm. And of course, if you're Derridean, then you have yeah. a notion of the voice as, as the bearer of truth as opposed to writing, which has got this kind of suspicion around mm. it because it's mediated. You know, the voice is closer to thought, therefore closer to truth. Mm. So when you start to, to think about that in the world of music and technology, you're realising there's a whole load of stuff playing around there. Mm. One is where does the voice, who speaks for who, where does the mm. voice go, um, and how does technology mediate those processes. Mm. The thing about interesting thing about pop music, of course, is that it kind of celebrates its artifice. Yeah. So it, 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 you're given licence to play around with those ideas a bit, almost like a big breaching experiment in some respects. So the music technologies that I'm interested in you mentioned the vocoder, but the microphones to certain extent, but mm. particularly the vocoder, um, auto-tune, and now Vocaloids, which mm. is the thing I'm working on at the moment. Right. They...
0: Okay, we had to uh, restart slightly and um, because we've, um, we've moved due to some uh, excessive background noise, but we're, we're back again. But... Um, Nick was talking about um, uh, voice manipulations through uh, kind of digital technologies like um, uh, autotune vocoders and that kind of thing
1: Mm. so yeah when when pop plays around with its over artificiality you get some interesting collisions between natural and technological and authentic and inauthentic and in the case of the musicians you mentioned when you in, you in put into the equation gender and of course you've got really interesting play of what natural is yeah, and what, yeah. post, what human and post-human might be constituted by so with with, with Britney Spears and with the use of Auto Tune in Chairs track, I believe you started to feel like there was a new kind of ontological groundings around where the voice came from mm. so that you didn't really know whether it came from the the female body or mm. something post-female yeah, and that yeah, yeah. obviously opens up interesting questions around um, what is often considered to be you know where the voice resides you know yeah. who possesses it where where, um, where it circulates and um, I mean often in, in terms of the ideologies around pop the female voice is the most natural voice Yeah, right? yeah it's yeah. a pure instrument so once you once it's embalmed in these technologies you've got sorts of interesting questions opening up mm. I think around uh, where voices go how they're composed and decomposed in digital yeah. technologies how they're controlled um, and so on so that was why I was interested in, yeah. uh, in that dynamic. and I think
0: that's really interesting uh, uh, because of how that in both of those cases like with Cher and Britney Spears it's it's very much a, it's uh, on the edge of that so there's, there's elements of the kind of the the, um, uh, the artificiality whereas um, I think some other acts that, that you yeah. refer to, is like uh, Kraftwerk um, uh, and maybe Daft Punk to some extent, the, the, it's, um, which are male vocalists, mm. ostensibly, that have more of a overt kind of uh, artificiality or, to, or se- a seemingly more total artificiality. It's, it's there throughout, rather than there being these little bits of...
1: Oh, OK, yeah. Do you know what I mean? yeah, I don't know yeah. if
0: there's a... Um, I don't know if that is a gendered kind of issue That's a really
1: interesting point Yeah, I've not thought about that and Mm. That that would certainly be an interesting avenue Um, That there's something of the female flesh left behind Yeah, yeah, exactly Um, Partly because the anchoring in the female body Is still required in order to sell product Yes, yeah, perhaps And actually males can get away with being Totally obliterated from Yeah uh, From the recording Yeah Without it being too much of a damage. I mean, in, case in, in the case of Cher, of course, she doesn't use autotune. It's her producers, and sure, yeah. both of her producers are male. You know, yeah. so there's a whole yep. questionnaire around control. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, I mean, we'll probably come on mm. to Miku later, but, but yeah. there's a, there's a question there about the relationship between the body and the voice in a situation where. Femininity is performed in certain kinds of extreme yeah. ways, um, but certainly I think you're right. There's it's probably more. Uh, there's a question around why Kraftwerk and Daft Punk can get away with mm. completely obliterating any. you, with I'm just thinking aloud. With, with with Daft Punk, they still play around with the edge. That's true. Yeah. So the album Human, after all, for instance. Is, yeah. Is, yeah. And in more recent stuff, it's really a return to old authentic ideas of funk. You That's know, true, and, yeah. And yeah, and getting kind of other vocalists in to yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's true.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, on that, so the, what you're looking at, what you're kind of talking about the conference uh, here um, is um, Miku, mm. is that right? Yeah. So that yeah. he, this is a kind of a uh, an artificial
1: uh, artificial pop star. How, how do you refer to it? Uh, She's a, a virtual, virtual idol. Virtual That's how idol. she's right. termed in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, this, this might take some explaining. <laughs> <laughs> so, Miku, Hatsune Miku, is a marketing image. Uh, yeah. She begins the marketing, marketing image in 2007. And she's a marketing image in particular for a piece of software made by a Japanese company called Krypton Future Media. And that company's based in the north of Japan city called Sapporo on an island called Hokkaido and the idea was that this piece of software could be used to replace a real singer so it's a mm. software it's called Vocaloid if you can imagine a desktop with a with an interface where using your keyboard and your mouse you can generate a synthetic voice without requiring a real singer so mm. you know if you're a musician yeah. and you've got all your gadgets but you don't have a singer it's a, it's a way of
0: in the same way you would uh, synthesize uh, strings or. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. sure, yeah.
1: Um, so it's, it's a virtual singer. The, the, the software produces a, a virtual voice. So Miku was the mascot or the, the packaging material to sell the software. She was the third mascot to be used in this way. Yeah. But for some reason, she took off. Mm. fans started to really associate with her character. You know, she really just an image at this point. Mm. fans started to make, write fan fiction, design her dresses and her costumes, make independent video games and videos, and use the Vocaloid software to make, well, what is now over 100,000 songs. Right. Okay. So Krypton, I think, in a very... Interesting decision, strategically or not, the outcome is dramatic. They put it under the Japanese equivalent of a Creative Commons license. So anybody can be, in effect, Hatsune Miku. So if you're using the Vocaloid software to produce Miku songs, you are Miku. You become Miku. So you can imagine that this is like crowdsourced mm. music production, collaborative, imbued with the dynamics of sharing objects of uh, networking certainly uh, not the conventional idea of a songwriter no, no behind which there is a small team but none a songwriter this is crowdsourced songwriting and since that point she 's been appropriated in you know myriad ways by different interest groups um, and she now performs live but the songs that she performs live and what does perform and live mean sure, here? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. These are under reconstruction, ontologically. Um, when she performs live, the songs that she performs are the songs written by her fans. Right. Men, some of whom will be in the audience. Yeah, so it's yeah, a sort yeah. of strange cyclical feedback mm. relationship between production and consumption there. Um, so my work has been to follow Miku around a little bit. I'll be going to some of her concerts, but also spending some time at the company. Yeah. interviewing the software designers and the CEO and the people in charge of the live side of things, and her publicity uh, agents, she has, of course she has a publicity agent, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's giving me all sorts of interesting ways to think about, um, well, cultural production broadly, but more specifically how um, production is assembled and how voices are assembled in these, in these sorts of spaces. And exactly, and, and that's
0: because um, uh, when I first heard about this case, from uh, looking at your kind of abstracts and this kind of thing, I thought, oh, it, th- this will probably just be like uh, uh, Gorillaz, who you've also kind of written a little bit about. But it's really not. It's really um, not. That's Gorillaz, like the Damon Alban um, uh, kind of band. That's a much more kind of controlled, quite traditional in a sense, um, creation of a kind of an artificial kind of pop group. Um, not unlike, I suppose, but, you know, the monkeys or something like that. Yeah. just Just the, yeah. they happen to be real humans. Yeah. This is quite a, quite a different case, actually. And like you say, it's quite it's a, I suppose it's a, it's the um, dispersed, um, networked character of it, yeah. uh, which yeah. is
1: kind of interesting. Yeah, no, that's that's a nice way of putting it. Um, yeah, I mean, there are, there are some overlaps, of course, sure, between yeah, Gorillas yeah. And, and Miku, particularly in terms of the live show. Yeah. Um, um, but behind Gorillaz are still flesh and blood actors yeah. we still think about Damon Arban behind mm. and Jamie Hewlett behind that project and I don't know if you've ever seen Gorillaz live but they, they do play with that kind of absence and presence which is interesting So right. the, the first time I saw the Gorillaz they played behind a screen mm. um, so you couldn't actually see the band so there was a sort of Teasing of their, ab- it's their aware, it's, yeah, yeah, kind of a you know they're absence, there, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're playing with that threshold. Every now and then, they would they would come closer to the edge of the screen, so their silhouettes became right. more well defined, and the crowd would be yeah, much more. You know, there would that kind of recognition of the characters, and mm-hmm. it would be. Um, but with Miku, there's no founding presence. There's no flesh behind the silicon. There's mm. no carbon behind the silicon. Um, she is pure representation. Now that opens up many questions around some of the now classic concepts like cyborg and yeah. non-human, and simulacra, post-human and so on. Mm. Um, I actually think assemblage is a nicer way of thinking about her mm. because she, for the reasons you specified, she's networked. Yeah. And how she's networked is an interesting question. Funnily enough, in one of the interviews I, I, I had with the software designer of Miku I asked him about gorillas mm. and he took great pride in calling up a, a foot, some footage from a gorilla's gig and counterposed it with footage from his latest rendition of Miku in order to show how at Krypton they've got a very different approach to, to making Miku sing dance and so on. Right. Um, in effect, you were saying we are much more professional in how we do it than, than gorilla's well. Right. Okay. But it's yeah. a great pride in distinguishing her. Yeah.
0: As a so, so, so how does she exist in the life? Or is it as kind of like a hologram? So I've seen these kind of holograms of a, a Tupac, mm. um, uh, for instance, or um, is is it that kind of form? Or is it something very different?
1: She's not technically a hologram, and Krypton chastises anybody who says no. that it's a hologram because it's not. It's not a three D projection. They are secretive. I, okay. I did ask them about this, yeah, sure, and they, yeah. they, they, they like, couldn't give me an answer no. for good reasons, you know, they need to yeah. protect their commercial interests there. Um, but when you see her perform live, you realise that what they do is they, they have this big curved, a series of curved screens in effect, so the, the representation moves in and out of the, of the 3D space to give the illusion okay. of, a, of a character moving up, up, up around the right. stage. So it's, it's 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 the ultimate effect is a bit like a hologram, but mm. technically it's not sure, yeah. produced in that way. Mm. It's more two it's more two D than three D. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: do you think it has some? Is this a kind of a foreshadowing of anything? Would you would you suggest, or or, or do you see it as being connected to any other uh, broader kind of ongoing processes in in music production consumption? Um,
1: yeah that's a that's a difficult one uh, there's, there's perils in predicting of course things, yeah yeah, yeah yeah I guess what, one thing I would say is that she does make overt what happens anyway right sure so, uh, yeah, yeah yeah celebrities are hyper mediated yeah and we have this kind of relationship to them as objects mm-hmm. so you know in the paper that, this morning I rhetorically said that you know is there any difference between Miku and Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus because in terms of distanciation, visibility, production of their celebrity status, there's not a lot of difference. No. Um, the difference with Miku, however, and this is something that Krypton, I think, are quite pleased about, is that she will never get drunk, have a boyfriend, she'll never be photographed by the paparazzi at three o'clock in the morning coming no. out worse for wear of the nightclub. She's controllable in that sense and she'll, and she'll never let you down, she'll never sing out a tune and no. so on. So, terms of idealisations of celebrity she meets those sorts yeah. of criteria. I suppose she could get
0: they, they are ceding some control of her. She's not an entirely kind of controlled commercial prospect if a lot of the content comes from the fans. Mm. I, I imagine they're 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 obviously, they're, they're filtering that. Mm. Um, but if she's there to kind of effectively you know, to reflect the kind of the desires or whatever of of the fans by singing their songs and being kind of
1: part of that they're not entirely in control of that it's a very suppose. delicate balance and I did ask the, the, the CEO about this he as you say he has to cede control mm. to the fans and accept that what they might produce would not be acceptable to Krypton mm. so in particular there's a whole you know dark area of the internet which is playing with know, sure, the, yeah, yeah. The, the kind of polymorphous perversities <laughs> of, of <laughs> Miku in very dark ways. And he, you know, he's genuinely upset and embarrassed by that. But at the same time, he recognises that you know, he can't do anything about that. And if, were he to do anything about that, it would change the model. Mm. They would then become much more of a centralised, top-down company that dictates yeah. exactly how, it, how she's produced. Of course, on the other hand, because she is relatively open, it allows for all sorts of other kind of identity politics and, and um, sexual orientations and so on to proliferate without the control of yeah. censorship and so on. So there's a fat sunimiku minor movement, for instance, which appropriates what is already, what, what, what at the moment is a kind of hyper-feminine body, into something that's more aligned with the fat, fat activism movement. Okay, right. And the, and the, the fan art and the, and the imagery is what you might expect, you know, she's a a large middle-aged woman rather than a 16-year-old teenage girl, but she's still Miku, you know, and that's an interesting appropriation of, you know, I'm playing with the idea of of an empty signifier, but it's not entirely empty, but at least it's relatively open as a system, Yeah, and and favours, opens up all sorts of uh, identifications, which are localized and situated and and, yeah. Plur- and plural, yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm ju- I wondering,
0: do you see it as um, these kinds of virtual musicians um, are they are they themselves having or in this this one you could having an effect on kind of musical styles? So um, are they kind of just kind of. Being, uh, appropriating kind of existing styles, styles of music, or are they kind of uh, creating some, is, is it
1: some new, new kind of uh, aesthetic mm-hmm. as well? So, yeah, there's a, that's an interesting question. She began really as a, as a way of writing J-pop. Yeah. Upbeat, bouncy, mm-hmm. major chords, you know, mm. pure pop, you know, with a Japanese spin. But... As she's been appropriated by all sorts of different musicians, mm. the, the genres themselves have proliferate, proliferated mm. um, the styles have done. Now when you speak to Krypton and the, and the designers, they are all for her as a platform from which to experiment more and more. Mm. So they're really interested in innovation aesthetically with the music. Nice. So the last interview I gave with one of the software designers he had a Aphex Twin sticker on his laptop and he took great pride in, in, in telling me how they want to encourage that kind of level of experimentation with her they mm. see her as an avant-garde installation in some respects rather than just some kind of mm. throwaway disposable yeah. pop star that, that's ultimately mm. controllable they see her as, as a potentially a new way of opening up new aesthetic styles mm. So one of, the, one of the clips that's, that's quite well-known as she performs live is called The Disappearance of Hatsune Miku. And it's a 240 beats per minute piece of electro, but, but it's like nothing you'd ever heard. She sings, well, her voice is composed by, by, by the mm. composer to align with a 240 beats per minute track. So you, it's just this incredibly yeah. frenetic, almost avant-garde, mm. you know, um, style of music, mm. and I think that's where a lot of the joy is for, for, for composers is, it, yeah. is it in experiment, experimentation. Yeah. yeah. So bringing together J-pop and you know opera or glitch or yeah, you know, yeah. trying to hybridise the genres.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, theoretically, um, you've um, you said uh, looking at this sort of kind of a uh, this context as kind of an assemblage mm-hmm. um, so are you, who are you drawing on for that is that kind of uh, Deleuze um, Vitari, um actor network theory or somewhere in between or
1: mm. do you know what I, th- I, I'm not, I don't want to get too precious about theory no I, sure yeah, I, yeah, uh, yeah, partly because I see the assemblage concept as something to be used and yeah. if it doesn't work then I just throw it away Yeah. so I'm kind of less interested in theoretical Lineages and mm. more. What, what, do, what might it do? Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's delusia it's got a mm. an ant progeny. But it, I guess what I'm interested in is is uh, if you take some of the core characteristics of a typical assemblage, then mm. it would be about entanglements between human and non-human, and that's a tick for me in, in terms of Miku. Mm. Um, it's a relatively open concept concept which. Uh, allows you to bring together heterogeneous objects that are not fixed and discrete in time but which have this kind of dance across time yeah and, the, yeah. and the, that process oriented account allows you to show things in transit in motion yeah. so it it's already doing me favors as a piece as a tool yeah. really um, to get at how Miku has got has got this kind of moving quality that she's she's her voice for instance is assembled it's constituted by practices so if there is an ontological commitment there it's a commitment to how practice precedes reality not the other way around so I'm looking at how she's constituted through the practices rather than pre-existing ones so it's 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 sort of a commitment to, to ANT but I, again to me it's still a tool and if the tool doesn't work I stop using it. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not a commitment to ANT per se. You no. know, it's still that I it's think it's what's useful for this context yeah. This, yeah, yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean in another context I would use Bourdieu, for yeah. and I would have no qualms about that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not French. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to commit <laughs> no, no, to one or the other.
0: No. 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 Um, and then uh, just briefly before we kind of finish, um where, where's this going next, so uh, are, you, are you doing more work on Miku or are you kind of
1: developing that in, in, in another direction? Or? So I'm off to Japan next week oh, Okay, actually, for, for just under three months uh, and that's when I'm going to be finishing this, mm. this part of the project and I'm just hoping to you know, pick up a few more interviews mm. but also do a bit more I guess you'd call it an urban ethnography because Miku has a presence in Tokyo particularly in an area of Tokyo called Akihabara just getting a feel for her semiotic presence I think yeah. is one important part of what I want to do. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm going to be hanging out in Tokyo for a few weeks. Nice. Um, I have a visiting fellowship at the University of Tokyo of the Arts yeah. and that, that helps. Yeah, um, yeah and I'm, I'm just going to see where that leads me. I'm also going to be performing some music yeah. using Miku wow. at the University which is, uh, Miku's 10 years old this year. So is it's music you've composed? Yeah, yeah. Miku's 10 years old this year, um, and I'm performing a piece of music uh, in, in Japanese, it's called Ju, and Ju means 10. So the idea is that I'm going to be recording the sounds of 10 vending machines for electromagnetic fields that they're giving off. All... this is gonna sound really pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds amazing. <laughs> So, vending machines are huge in Japan, uh, yeah. you can buy anything from a vending machine. And they've got a very strong presence as non-human actors in the, in the urban landscape in Tokyo. Yeah. They also happen to be places where you might go during an earthquake, because you get information wow, displayed right. on, the, yeah. on the vending machine itself, and it distributes free water. So, it's more than just a commercial transaction. Mm. These things are, yeah. uh, are alive and active, you know, even yeah. though they look sleepy at night actually very uh, alive and, and day-to-day so I'm bringing together some sound the electromagnetic magnetic fields of those of 10 vending machines with an, a 10-minute urban soundscape from Akihabara with 10 Miku samples her voice Great. and bring them together in a, in a kind of well I've not written it yet but that's the idea <laughs> no, That's fun. Wow, um, will I be able to see this or hear this online uh, as well hopefully yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, hopefully somebody will record it. So I'll, great. I'll stick yeah, it yeah, I'd, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd like to. That'd be great. Yeah. Right. Uh, so uh, thanks for talking no, to thank you. It. It's you. been uh, yeah. really fascinating. And course, I, yeah.
0: yeah, I really look forward to um, reading something of this when, you, when you've when uh, you when you've written some of it up. So. Yeah, but fantastic. Yeah. Yes. 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 Okay. No problem. In this interview, you could hear that we were getting moved around a bit due to uh, background noise. Uh, getting uh, a bit too loud and also at the end there we got moved out of an area that was being closed. Um, These are the perils I suppose of conducting interviews on the fly, grabbing people when you can in public spaces. Um, But I hope you um, enjoyed that interview with uh, Nick Pryor who I think is doing some really great work. Um, and a real contribution to understanding how digital technologies are affecting um, the production uh, and the consumption of of culture, in this case, music in particular. Um, So, if you would like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Chris H. Till, and um, I'll be tweeting out links to the um, the podcast series as well. The theme music is um, by mole and is welcome to video game island and the incidental music is by jonas78 and is disco stomp and they're both used on a creative commons license next time i'll be talking to louise reed about her work looking into the impact of energy monitoring on energy consumption and understandings of um of this and the kind of disciplinary um and uh other elements. So, I'll see you there.